Good evening. It's time for Bedtime Stories with Thompson, and we're reading the last chapter, chapter 13, the big finale of The Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman. Chapter 13. Chapter 13, to the settlements and farewells. The country was changing every day. Behind us were the great arid deserts, thinly covered by tufts of shriveled pale green grass. Ahead of us were plains carpeted with rich greenery and sprinkled with flowers. In place of buffalo, we found plenty of prairie hens, which we bagged by the dozens without riding off the trail. In three or four days, we saw ahead the forests and meadows of Council Grove. It seemed like a new experience, riding beneath the arches of noble trees like ash, oak, elm, hickory, and maple. All were hung with enormous grapevines, purple with fruit. The shouts of our scattered party rang through the breathless stillness of the forest. When we rode out again into the broad light of the open prairie, it was with regret. Little more than a hundred miles now separated us from the frontier settlements. The country was one green prairie after another, rising in broad swells and relieved only by occasional clusters of trees following the course of a stream. These are the prairies of the poet and the novelist. We had left danger behind us. Nothing was to be feared from the Indians of this region, the Sacs and Foxes, the Kansas and Osages. We had met with rare good fortune. For five months, our small party had traveled through a country where at any moment we could have been robbed of all we possessed, including our lives. But not a single animal had been stolen from us. Our only loss had been one old mule bitten to death by a rattlesnake. And not a single man in our party had been killed or wounded. Three weeks after we reached the frontier, we learned that the Pawnees and Comanches had begun a regular series of raids along the Arkansas Trail, killing men and driving off horses. They, attract, they attacked every party, large or small, that passed that way during the next six months. On a cheerless, rainy evening, we came to our last camping ground, but never was there a brighter fall morning than the one that followed, and we mounted once more to return to the settlements. We were passing through the country of the half-civilized Shawnees. It was a beautiful pageant of fertile plains and small woods, just touched with the colors of autumn. Close beneath them nestled the log houses of the Indian farmers. Their shining yellow corn stood rustling in the wind, ripe and dry. Curved yellow squashes and huge orange pumpkins lay basking in the sun in the midst of their brown, shriveled leaves. Robins and blackbirds flew above the fences. Everything gave us proof that we were approaching civilization. Home. The forests that border the Missouri River soon rose before us. We had taken the same road on our outward journey in the spring, but now the road's appearance was totally changed. The wild young apple trees fragrant with blossoms in the spring, were now thickly hung with their red fruit. Tall grass grew by the roadside in place of the tender shoots that months ago were just peeping from the warm and oozy soil. On every side we saw signs of full, ripe growth, where, before, all had been fresh with opening life. In the green light of the forest, squirrels barked at us from trees, young partridges ran rustling over the fallen leaves, and the golden oriole, the blue jay, and the flaming red bird darted among the shadowy branches. We hailed these sights and sounds of beauty with mixed feelings. As Quincy put it, Civilization certainly has its charms, but you know, Francis, I'm kind of sorry to leave the wilderness. At length, between the opening trees, we saw the roof of a white man's house. Soon after, we were riding over the miserable log bridge that led into Westport. The town had surely seen strange scenes, but a rougher-looking troop than ours with our worn-out equipment and broken-down horses was never seen even there. 
We passed many well-remembered buildings and camped in a meadow beyond. After taking leave of the California men and disposing of our horses and equipment, we hired a wagon and drove down to the Kansas Landing. There we found the log tavern that had housed us five months before, and from its porch we looked down once more on the little whirlpools of the Missouri River. On the evening of the next day, Henry, Quincy, and I boarded a steamboat bound for St. Louis. Delorier's, strangely transformed by a hat, a coat, and a razor, stood on a rock at the landing place waiting to leave, take leave of us. Adieu, mes amis, adieu, adieu, farewell, far, my friends, farewell, farewell, he cried as the boat pulled away. When you go another time to the Rocky Montañas, I will go with you. Yes, I will go. He jumped about, swinging his hat, and as the boat rounded a distant point, the last thing we saw was Des Lauriers still lifting his hat and skipping about the rock. The passage down to St. Louis took eight days. During about a third of that time, we were fast aground on sandbars. But once we reached our hotel, we found our trunks, and in the morning, transformed by the magic of the tailor's art, we hardly recognized each other. The evening before we left for the east, Henry Chatelon came to say goodbye. No one who met him in the streets of St. Louis would have taken him in, taken him in for a hunter fresh from the Rocky Mountains. He was very neatly and simply dressed in a suit of dark cloth. Although from the time he was fifteen he had rarely spent more than a month in a civilized town, he had a native good taste which always led him to pay great attention to his personal appearance. His tall, athletic figure and his fine face looked well with his present dress. He had served us with a loyalty and devotion beyond all praise. We shook hands with regret, and he seemed to feel as we did. At Westport, Quincy had given him a horse, and I had given him my rifle. Perhaps at the very moment I write this, the rifle's sharp voice is startling the echoes of the Rocky Mountains. The next morning, we left St. Louis, and after two weeks of railroads, stagecoaches, and steamboats, we saw once more the familiar features of home. It had been an exciting six-month, 2,000-mile journey, during which we saw life that would cease to exist in the very near future, as the white man opened up and settled the West. Many of the Indians I had met and lived with would be destroyed. The mountain trappers and guides would be only a memory of the past, and the mighty buffalo would become all but extinct. But I consider myself fortunate to have been able to study these men and beasts at a time when the Wild West was still untamed and untouched by the white man. The end. Well, it's good that they did die. They could be scrambled out for that soup. That sure was a great book. That's one of my favorite books. <clears throat> well, that's all we have time for tonight, kids. I hope you enjoyed the Oregon Trail as much as we did. We'll see you out there on the trail. Good night. On the Oregon Trail. Good night. Good night.